Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you so much for our time together. Well, we're excited because tomorrow night we begin to start services again, and then four services on Sunday. We'll talk more about this in a minute. I know it's only 10% capacity, but at least we're starting to get back in services again. All right. First, Psalms 91, our foundational rock of faith in God through all of this. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot, because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91. I want to remind all of you that the services are going to have a lot of rules and regulations. 10% capacity, foot bath, temperature check, wash your hands with alcohol. And seniors, we really need to ask for some understanding. I know they don't want seniors out yet unless you have a quarantine pass. They don't want the young people out if you don't have a quarantine pass. And, you know, for us, the 27,000 plus plus people that we've been calling every three days, uh, that's about 48%. So we're not going to add a lot of new services. We've added a 12 o'clock service. So we'll have not this weekend, but next weekend, we'll have Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and then Sunday, four services, 7.30, 10, 12.30, and 3 o'clock. Now, this weekend, we're going to start with Saturday morning drive-in service. Now, seniors, you can come to this, okay? You can come. So, young people, drive your Lolo and Lola down for the drive-in service. We have fun. They put their flashers on, and we come and pray for them, and they honk their horns to say amen and hallelujah and praise the Lord. And, you know, we, we have a great time together. That's at 7.30 Sunday morning, South Campus. We'll have the FM transmitter set up. Now, in a few weeks, depending on how long it takes with Customs, again, because Customs is only 20% you know, work capacity right now, and Customs is holding things. Uh, as soon as we get things out of Customs, we're going to put another FM transmitter here at main campus. And then the Lolas and the Lolas can sit in the cars with the air conditioning on, and the young people can sit in the car with the air conditioning on, and everybody else can be inside. But you'll be able to hear everything with the FM transmitter. So give us a few weeks. We'll have that worked out. So if you're going to be in the Saturday morning service, seniors, you need to come down, be there early. We start right at 7.30. We're done by 8.40. You can hit the South Superhighway, be back downtown before the big trucks come out. 
Now, Sunday, we'll start at 7.30, all four campuses. 10 o'clock, all four campuses. 12.30, all four campuses. And 3 o'clock, all four campuses. Now, 10% capacities. So some of the services are already full. If you'll call your uh, campus pastor or you'll call your district pastor, they will make sure that they reserve a slot for you. So please help us get all this organized and going and we'll be very happy. Now, seniors who are coming to main campus who have quarantine passes, we still want to be a little more careful with you. So seniors, please listen to me carefully. Only seniors with quarantine passes should be coming to the service. Other than that, do the drive-in service at South. But if you have the quarantine pass, we're going to take it a step farther. Now, the government isn't requiring us to do this, but our doctors have suggested it, and we want to follow what the docs say, okay? Uh, seniors who have quarantine passes, we're going to put you in the cry rooms, where you're all by yourself in the cry room. It's more isolated, and it's safer. In addition to that, we've taken the bookstore out of the General Luna lobby, and we've replaced it with a senior's lounge. So after the service, while you're waiting for your car, there'll be a private area for the wait for the senior's lounge. We want to make sure we take care of our seniors, all right? <sighs> Let's pray together. Father, we are so excited that we're starting toward the services again. We're so excited to be in the house of God. Lord, let the people see how different it is. Jesus, walk among us all this weekend. Oh, Jesus, walk among us. Let healing and miracles flow. Let your people sense your presence and be touched by your presence. We thank you for it. And Lord, we pray for all of our frontliners right now. The hospitals are filling lots of new cases with this spike, Lord. We just ask in Jesus' name that your hand would rest upon them. Father, for all those that have gotten sick during this time, just let a miracle flow. Let healing flow. Oh, in the name of Jesus, let healing flow. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our New Testament passage picks up at Acts chapter 23, verse 12, and you ask us to do the writing, though for the life of me, I don't know how you read my handwriting, but you ask us to go back to the writing, so we're going to do that again. Verse 12, when it was day, remember our last verse says it it had been nighttime. So now the next, we're talking about the next day. So we put a little note over here. We're talking about the next day. The Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. So we have a murder plot. Now, it's fascinating to me that they have this murder plot and this is going to be right now because they will not eat, they will not drink until they have killed Paul. So these guys are serious and they're going to do this right now. And there were more than 40 of them who made this conspiracy. Now, the problem is when you have 40 people who make a conspiracy, it's hard to keep secrets. And you're going to see that in a minute. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. All right, so they go to these religious leaders. And the religious leaders at this point should say, excuse me, Moses teaches us in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. But they look at this council and they say, now therefore you along with the council give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near to you. All right, so we have what I call PD, plausible deniability. Before he ever comes to you, he'll be dead. And we have them as accessories to murder. Because they're part of this. So here are these religious leaders choosing to be accessories to murder, but they're going to keep their plausible deniability because this is before he comes near. Now the next verse is fascinating to me. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of the ambush. The son of Paul's sister heard. So you're talking about the nephew. So we see that Paul's family is very connected. This is why some people believe that Paul had been married and his wife withdrew from the marriage when he became a Christian. Uh, This was a huge embarrassment to a very powerful, very connected family. Now, how connected were they? We don't know. Maybe uh, Paul's sister was married to a guy who is now a member of the Sanhedrin court. And... um, The son heard what dad was talking about when he came home that night. Maybe the son was in the homes of others of these guys and visiting the, the, you know, boys were messing around and talking and they heard the fathers talking. But anyway, the nephew comes and says, Paul, I I need to tell you something. These guys are planning to kill you tomorrow. Now, we don't know how close Paul was to the nephew. Could not have been too close because Paul did not spend much time in Jerusalem. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So they brought him to the tribune. Now notice we have a centurion, and now we have a tribune. Now the centurion is over 100 soldiers. The tribune is over the centurions. He's like a top-level official. So they took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. 
The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asking privately, what is it that you have to tell me? Now, notice the privately. Now, this tribune was what showed wisdom. When, you know, somebody's coming to give you some private information, you learn to take it privately. And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have been bound themselves under an oath neither to eat or drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. Waiting for your consent. So they can't do anything without this guy's agreement. So we'd like to speak to Paul, but these guys are going to kill him on the way. So he said, listen, I just wanted to tell you that. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one you have informed me of these things. Okay, you got to keep this. This is wisdom. When you hear that somebody's about to do something really bad and really evil, and you get wind of it, make sure, make sure that people don't know that we know. Okay? You, can't, you can't stop things if people know that you know. Then he called two of the centurions. These are the guys that are over 100 men. Get 200 soldiers ready. Now, notice two centurions, 200 soldiers. So each one of these men would take their full complement of 100 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. So we're going to do this in the middle of the night, okay? Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. All right, so Paul, this is going to be strength. Now notice, we have 200 soldiers. We have 70 horsemen, we have 200 spears. Now, you know what? You put that against 40 guys. So we have overwhelming force. And provide mounts for Paul to ride. So Paul was actually going to go with the horsemen. He would be able to move quickly. So we have strength and we have speed. Now. This is the way you deal with traps. You deal with traps with strength and speed. So I notice two keys to overcome a trap. Two keys. Strength and speed. And he wrote this letter to he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, this is the name of the center of the tribute. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix. Greetings. The man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with soldiers and rescued him. Well, I think rescue might be a strong word. It's, it's like, I'm not sure that's rescue. He arrested him, remember? So, uh, arrested and bound now becomes rescue. <laughs> Why is he talking like this? Because he learned Paul was a Roman citizen. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen, I can't bind this guy. So he, he does nothing that will make him look bad. I think this is what you call C-Y-O-B. Cover your own butt. And desiring to know the charge for which they are, were accusing him, I brought him to their council. 
Now, he, he leaves out the plan to flog. Okay? He leaves out all the things that they were going to do wrong. And I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. Okay, so Paul declared innocent. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So, all right, now, the Jews look bad. The Jews are now on the defensive. There would be a plot against this man, but he said, listen, this man's innocent, but there's a plot to kill him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. On the next day, they returned to their barracks, letting the horsemen go on with them. So halfway, just about halfway, they went down. The next day, they returned to their barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. So they no longer need the 200 men. They no longer need the 200 spearmen. They just have the 70 horses. They can move very quickly now. These guys cannot catch up at this point. When they had come to Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor, and they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked, what province was he from? And he learned that he was from Cilicia. He said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. This is the threshing floor of Arunah. This is the place where Abraham offered up his son, his only son Isaac. This is where David stopped the, uh, the plague with the sacrifice. Where the Lord had appeared to David his father. The temple was built on the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite, the site that David had selected. The construction began in mid-spring during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. Now you put that over with 1 Kings and you see that it took 20 years to build this temple. Now I'm going to read you descriptions of this temple in just a moment. But let me let you see it before I read you about it. Because then as I read it, it will make a lot more sense to you. So let me walk you through a few pictures. These all come from the Rose Guide to the Temple. All right. The first picture here begins to show you a scale model of the temple under Solomon. Now you'll notice that this temple is much smaller later than Herod's temple that Jesus would have been at. But it shows you the, uh, the ten bronze basins that surround the outside. It shows you the beautiful uh, brass and sea. It shows you the two giant pillars at the entrance of the holy place. And it shows you uh, the beautiful stone altar that was built with the brass on top. Uh, the next picture I want to show you begins to show you the incredible beauty of the inside. It might have been stone on the outside, but it was incredibly beautiful, completely covered with gold on the inside. Something like 570 tons of gold were used to build the temple. As you begin to look here at the temple, you see the incredible amount of gold that just completely covers the place. And you, you see the candlesticks along the sides and the, the, the tables along the sides. And you see the beautiful altar of incense right there in the middle. And you see the beautiful uh, curtain that goes between the holy place and the holy of holies. And you see the uh, all the way up the far end, you see the holy of holies with the Ark of the Covenant in between the cherubim. A little better picture shows you a cutaway of the temple. It shows you the two giant brass pillars out front and the beautiful walls completely covered in gold paneling. I mean, this is just, this is an absolutely exquisite place. Shows you the small boxed area where you see the giant cherubim standing there and in between those two cherubim is the Ark of the Covenant. Now that you have an idea of what it looks like, as I read to you, this is going to make more sense. Now, what I'm going to do today is something a little different. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation because it puts it in terms of measurement that sound a little more reasonable to us, not cubits and things like that. Verse 3. These are the dimensions Solomon used for the foundation of the temple of God using the old standard of measurement. It was 90 feet long and 30 feet wide. The entry room at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple and 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. Now you saw that just a minute ago. That would be the holy place. He paneled the main room of the temple with cypress wood and overlaid it with fine gold decorated it with carvings of palm trees and chains. He decorated the walls of the temple with beautiful jewels and with gold from the land of Parvaim. So again, this entire entrance and, and the, the holy place is covered in beautiful gold. It's covered in beautiful jewels. He overlaid the beams, the thresholds, the walls, and the doors throughout the temple with gold. And he carved the figures of cherubims on the walls. <laughs> now, now you begin to see all the gold and you begin to see what it looks like in your mind. He made the most holy place. This is the Holy of Holies. Uh, 
30 feet wide, corresponding to the width of the temple, and 30 feet deep. He overlaid his interior with 23 tons of fine gold. That's just in the Holy of Holies. And the gold nails that were used weighed 20 ounces each. Now, when you think that an ounce of gold today costs, what, 1700 1800 U.S. dollars per ounce of fine gold, and uh, each nail was 20 ounces <clears throat> for the nail. He overlaid the walls of the upper rooms with gold. He made two figures shaped like cherubim and overlaid them with gold and placed them in the most holy place. The total wingspan of the two cherubim standing side by side was 30 feet. One wing of the first figure was seven and a half feet long and it touched the temple wall. The other wing was seven and a half feet long and touched one of the wings of the second figure. In the same way, the second figure had one wing seven and a half feet long and touched the opposite wall. The other wing also seven and a half feet long touched the wing of the first figure. So the wingspan of the two cherubim side by side was 30 feet. They stood on their feet and faced toward the main room of the temple. So they faced outward, facing out of the Holy of Holies toward the holy place. At the entrance of the mo most holy place, he hung a curtain of fine linen decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and embroidered with figures of the cherubim. For the front of the temple, he made two pillars. Okay, those two pillars we talked about, 27 feet tall, each topped by a capital extending upward another seven and a half feet. And he made a network of interwoven chains and used them to decorate the tops of the pillars. He also made 100 decorative pomegranates and attached them to the chains. Then he set up the two pillars at the entrance of the temple. That's just outside the holy place. One at the south entrance and one at the north. And he named the one at the south Jackin and the one at the north Boaz. So these two giant pillars made of bronze had names. Chapter 4, verse 1. Solomon also made a bronze altar 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 15 feet high. Then he cast a great round basin 15 feet across from rim to rim called the sea. All right, now we, shot, we showed you where the altar was. We showed you where the great sea was. It was seven and a half feet deep and about 45 feet in circumference. It was encircled just below its rim by two rows of figures that resembled oxen. There were about six oxen per foot all the way around, and they were cast as part of the basin. The sea was placed on a, on a base of 12 bronze oxen, all facing outward. Three faced north, three faced west, three faced south, and three faced east. And the sea, this just giant pool of water, was on top of those oxen. The walls of the sea were about three inches thick, and its rim flared out like a cup and resembled a lily blossom. It could hold 16,500 gallons of water. <laughs> That's a lot of water. He also made 10 smaller basins for washing the utensils for the burnt offerings. He set five on the south side and five on the north side. But the priests washed themselves in the sea. So the sea was for the priests to wash themselves, and those 10 water basins that you saw along the outside, that was for washing the utensils. Then he built a courtyard for the priest, and he also made an outer court, large outer courtyard. He also made doors for the courtyard entrances and overlaid them with bronze. The great bronze basin called the sea was placed in the southwest corner of the temple. Hurum Abi also made necessary wash basins, shovels, and bowls. So at last, Hurum Abi completed everything King Solomon had assigned him to make for the temple of God. 
Now remember, this took 20 years. The two pillars, the two bowl-shaped capitals on top of the pillars, the two networks of interwoven chains that decorated the capitals, the 400 pomegranates that hung by chains on the capitals, two rows of pomegranates for each of the chain networks that decorated the capitals on top of the pillars, the water carts holding the basins, the sea and the 12 oxen under it, the ash buckets, the shovels, the meat hooks, and all related articles. Huram Abi made all these things of burnished bronze for the temple of the Lord, just as King Solomon had directed. And the king had them cast in clay molds in the Jordan River between Succoth and Zarathon. Okay, so why would he go down there to do this casting? Because the clay was good there. Solomon used such great quantities of bronze that its weight could not be determined. Solomon also made all the furnishings for the temple of God, the gold altar, the tables for the bread of the presence, there was ten tables inside, the lampstands and their lamps of gold, solid gold, to burn in front of the holy place as prescribed, the flower decorations, lamps, thongs, all of the purest gold, the lamp snuffers, bowls, ladles, and incense burners, all of solid gold, the doors for the entrance of the most holy place and the main room of the temple overlaid with gold. So Solomon finished all his work for the temple of the Lord. Then he brought all the gifts his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and various articles, and he stored them in the treasuries of God. Now, the treasuries were those rooms built outside the temple. There's like three stories of rooms built outside the temple on three sides, and those were the treasuries of the temple of God. Now, I wanted you to see the pictures first so you could see things in your mind. And I wanted to read the New Living Translation because it puts it in dimensions that are a little easier for us to understand. But I want you to understand, this took 20 years for an entire nation to build this. It was so beautiful. Putting the stones in place, the carvings, overlaying all of those walls with solid gold. 570 tons of solid gold were used in making this temple. This was a beautiful, beautiful temple of God. And remember, all of it is to remind you, not just of the temple in heaven, because it's just a copy of the temple in heaven, according to Hebrews, but it's to remind you of the value God places on you, because today you are the temple of God, and God dwells in you. Maybe you could begin to see the great value God places upon your life. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow morning at